guys welcome back to part two of her story before we get into her story and about um how she gives you a part of her life and you can see how different this different situations um come about please follow us on social media and congratulations to the winner whoever won because i'm doing this literally the night before <laughs> we do the drawings but i do this in advance if you don't know um please follow us on social media um everything will be down below TikTok, YouTube, Instagram, things like that. And if you're a person who wants to share your story, we'd love to have you. If you're a person who just want to share resources, we'd love to have that. Especially, um, we only take the resources for New York City, but the stories we take from um, anywhere in the U.S., you have to have a child under 18, or you could be a child who's under 18 who want to tell their story from a child's perspective. We are honestly looking for more people who are children when it happened, so we can give children a voice. A lot of times um, we go through situations and we always tell the parents how they feel and what's going on. But the reason why they're in the family shelter is because they have a child. And, um, well, most of the people who are in family shelter have children under 18. They have family shelters with um, adult children, but it's a different aspect because adults have, you know, they usually are working. They, there's different different dynamic. And that child is not depending on you as much as a child under 18 would. Because by law, you're here to take care of a child. Like, if you're a good parent, <laughs> that's what you're doing, right? But um, we would love to have people on the 18th stories um, to be told so we can people shed a light on how children feel when they're in shelter and things like that. So thank you for listening and let's continue on to our story. I just spent some time in Ireland for the first time um, in September, actually. Ooh. And it was like when it was suddenly being home in a crazy way. And I met all these Irish women that were these incredibly strong people. Um, And you know, the gift of gab, right? And the gift of gab isn't just that you talk a lot, it's you know how to tell a story. And so the stories I heard about the troubles, the stories I heard about people's drinking, all of it, it was just, I was like, wow, this is, these really are my people. Now I understand a lot of it, but, um, you know, I, I came a long way in life before. I mean, honestly, I didn't really realize that we were doubled up and technically homeless right. until a couple of years ago. Right. I mean, I'm doing this work. I've been working on child and family homelessness for 20 years. Right. And we're lucky, honestly, like I, I got an education. I had people in my life. I had teachers. I had people in my life who just sort of looked out for me. My seventh grade teacher, Mrs. Albanese, she looked out for me. She very subtly pushed me to do things that I was afraid to do and made me feel special. I had an auntie who made me feel special. And I think now about I meet young people and families who are experiencing homelessness and I think that's one of the things that I was afforded that many are not is that there's somebody in this world who thinks you're special and tells you. Um, I mean, uh, there were lots of people in my family, my older sister, but my older brother and sister, were, uh, the spread in my family between the oldest and the youngest is 16 or 17 years. That's a big gap. So my oldest brother and sister, they were gone before we, before I was like a thinking being, you know, they were all, they were out of the house, 18, 17, whatever. 
So um, it almost feels like we had two sets of like I had two sets of siblings and they were they were not present. The older my older brother and sister for the worst of what went down with my parents, but it it had to be on its way all along. Now that I'm an adult, then I can see that. It's crazy um, that that happened. I'm sorry about your brother again. Um, it must have been very lonely for him to really do that to himself. Um, and people don't understand, like even myself, when I think of, when I talk about my homeless experience, I don't even think of, I didn't think of doubled up. Honestly, probably even this year, this is kind of when I really delved into it. And I thought about last, um, the time, I thought about this week, I was like, I was homeless off and on from 2015, 2018. And usually the only time I count is from like 2016, probably 2018. I don't count the first time <laughs> it happened. With people? I, I don't count it because I was on somebody's couch and I was like, I never thought about it. And I'm like, no. And the thing about it, I do the podcast, so it's not like I don't know the information. I know the information. It's just thinking about when we all think about homelessness, we only think about shelters and we not, sometimes we don't think about that. We think only about on people on the street. And um, so we have right. to really think about it. If you if if you don't have your own place in your own key, you don't have your own home, you know? So that's the thing. And you can't you can't relax. You are a guest in someone else's home. Yeah. And that that is, I think, one of the most I mean, I a young person that I met who in San Francisco who's experiencing homelessness is said that to me and I I I I think I flinched um because it put words around something that you know my grandmother all like I like you can't relax it's not your space it's not yours and so I I just Kadisha I want to say like I I had this incredible shame as a child, I mean, I hope the world has changed. I don't think it has changed that much. There is nothing shameful here. I mean, it's a shame. It's a shame that as a nation, we allow this to happen. We have programmed this to happen. Um, we enable it through policy. We have enabled it since the beginning, since before we were a country. Um, we we redline, we segregate, we make excuses for it, we NIMBY, all of these things. And it doesn't have to be like this. There's enough that we don't have a limited quantity of talent or special or even money and resources. There's plenty for everyone. And there's no reason for, I mean, I don't have to tell you this. We, we know that LGBTQ uh, young people identifying young people are much more likely black LGBTQ plus identifying young people are eight times more likely than uh, a, a straight white young person to experience homelessness. And those, those risks are multiplicative and cumulative, and it has to do with things that we can change because it's really about a mindset and we, you know, I'm a white woman and I have had enormous privilege in my life. I'm not saying I've had to, I've not had to work hard. And I, as a woman in a world that, in a field that is very, has been historically very white male dominated, 
I've had my moments and that's how you learn. That's one of the ways you learn about the experiences of other people and the intersectionalities that we all should have awareness of, but you have to be willing to open your eyes. And I'll be honest, it wasn't really like that. It's just, I remember sitting in a meeting one day and being like, oh my gosh, my family, I was we like, and like, if I tell my siblings about this, they're going to be like, we weren't homeless. <laughs> <laughs> they're not going to get it. Right. Gonna... So who knows if this is going to make it make the rounds around the ferals? <laughs> because, because I because I think it's there's still such shame attached to it. Right. No one want no, like you say, who who sits in grade school and thinks I want to be homeless when I grow up? Nobody. Exactly. Nobody ever thought that. And yet we we can prevent this right we, and and it's traumatic and if and it all we, and mostly what we do in this country is very reactive we we yes. can prevent this yes we it's so prevent. true i mean something like 60 some odd percent of the young people who call the national runaway safe line are housed when they call oh wow that's good. Right. And I mean, we, you know, we don't know what we know what happens with some of them, but you know what I'm saying? We don't really know what happens, but right. think about that as a, a lost, a missed opportunity. Right. Um, some of them are, you know, in precarious situations. Some of them are in the middle of a crisis. And I mean, what I've also learned is that particularly for young people, they, they'll, there's crisis after crisis and you don't know what crisis is going to be the crisis is going to the breaking point yeah that's true and that's and that was true with my family too right. like you said about my mother what was it i don't know so she got to her breaking point it's so true like you were saying um because even all right i rented a, a room because i couldn't afford an apartment after i had my daughter and um, I had to at this other lady's house for for like less than a month, and then I got to a room, and I got at the hospital and things like that. And even though technically, I don't, because that part I don't say because of the homeless, I was technically paying rent to her, but it wasn't my place. I'm living in it's three bedrooms, and I'm paying rent there. So it's not like it was a family. I don't really know her. She's a family member of somebody I actually know, but I never met her before. And living there was like terror. At first, it was fine because when I, at nighttime when I was there. She was working, so I was I was good. She wasn't there, and I had her daughter was there, and her daughter is like probably ten years older than me or so, and she was fine. When the mom came and stopped working night shifts and started working in the day, her being home was horrible. She made you feel uncomfortable. Um, because I we I don't know if anybody does boil the baby bottles to make sure it's sanitized. You had an sure infant at this time. You had a newborn. I had a newborn. Horrible. My daughter would cry. The daughter would hit on the wall to stop my baby from crying. She said, shut her up. I'm like, she's a baby. How can you shut up a baby? It doesn't make sense. You, what you're saying does not make and my daughter, mind you, my daughter out of most babies that I know didn't cry that often. So when she did cry, there's really something wrong with her. My, my daughter, people, when I first was for the first, I think 11 months, you couldn't tell she was in the house because she was that quiet. So when she cried, you knew that was a problem with her. And she would come in the room. The lady has a key. I didn't know she had a key to my room at one point. She'll come to the room when I'm not there. I took one time I thought it was crazy. 
because I have everything. I have my um soap on the floor and things like that. So I see my phone coming. I'm like, why is it on the floor? Then I'm like, did it fall over? I didn't realize I just left it. I'm like, no, but I would have saw it before I left this morning. So I was like, all right, let me forget about it. So, and then I see it happen again. I was like, you know what? Let me put it in a bag. So this time I know that it wouldn't be. Then I came home and I'm like, no, she's coming in my room every day to waste my soap on the floor that I paid for. And I'm paying her rent. She would do things like that. Um, Because of that, I had to have my social security card. Like I would move it around my room so she couldn't find. It was like living right, like that. Right, right. It's horrible. You weren't safe. And because the like one time she came in the room yelling at me for something that her daughter did, but she thought it was me. I'm like, that wasn't me. And then she asked her daughter, she realized it was her daughter. And I'm like, she she didn't even knock on the door. She took her key, me and my baby on the bed, and she just opens the door to my room. And I'm like, that's how I found out she had my keys. And I'm like, why would you have keys for my room if I'm paying right here? I don't I don't I don't understand why you have two like it doesn't make sense. So she would I realized that she was coming in. Violation. Yeah. Violation. I didn't want to get her in trouble because because I know the person. I know right. the person who she's like, I'm like, I didn't, I, I felt unsafe. Like at nighttime, I would have stuff behind the door. So in case she came in, I could hear. And I said, I never slept well because of that. I was always on eggshells. I stopped making food in her house. I could say, admit, I messed up one of her pots by accident. It wasn't on purpose. I didn't know any better. I took a fork to the pot because I was used to doing that in my, in my I, the house I grew up in. And I messed up her pot. I said, I'll pay for it. She didn't want it. I'm like, whatever. So. I can say I'm not saying the perfect person this is my first time being on my own other than college. Hey, who hasn't messed up a pot? Right. And <laughs> it was just, it was just, it was a lot. It was just a lot of contention. She didn't like me taking showers at nighttime, which I understand because I sometimes take it too late, but she wouldn't let me in the bathroom until a certain time. So I was like, I have to do it 11, 12 o'clock at night because she would have a problem. Then people say, take a shower in the morning. I don't go to sleep in my clothes. From outside, so I have to take a, I have to take a shower, then go to my bed, clean up my baby and everything. And it was just like a problem for her. You take a shower so late. Her daughter would hear me. I, would never, I usually take my daughter with me. It's very rare I leave her in the bed. I was in the room. I, was, I didn't know what they were going to do to my daughter. I just didn't trust it. I'll take my daughter with me and all our stuff in our in hands in the bathroom. And they will hear me coming and opening the door. And they'll run to the bathroom because they're closer to me than the bathroom. It was like the daughter's room. It was a bathroom, the daughter's room, my room, and the mom was over here. They would literally, if they hear me open my door, they see me, they know what time I usually come out for my shower. They would run into the bathroom. So I have to wait till they come out to go to the bathroom. It was, I thought I was going crazy one time. I'm like, somebody, I feel like somebody's watching me when I'm taking my shower. And I'm like, I'm going, I used to leave my, my daughter's, um, I'll be not safe, her car seat by the door. So if somebody opens it, it would hit. I was right. like, you know what? I'm not going to do that anymore. Because it started getting really bad in my house. So I kept the car seat. It was a long kind of thing in the door and there was a tub. And then the, the um the toilet. So I got my daughter closer to the shower just in case. So every night, and she would hate me waiting up the floor, but I'm like, I feel like somebody's watching me. I don't like, I don't know what, I don't know what it is. I feel like somebody's coming here and watching me. Why did one day I caught the daughter opening the door to the bathroom? Because the door to the bathroom did not lock. Opening the door to the bathroom while I was in the shower. I'm like, why are you in here? Close the door. So I'm like, it was that happening all the time. That's why I felt like somebody's watching me all the time, taking a shower. And I did not realize it. And I'm like, I was, it was horrible. It was horrible. So living with people, even when you're paying rent, as I don't, I don't, I don't like people like other than dorms, like colleges, I don't tell people to go live with other people. They don't have to. It's better to have your own space. You have your own place, place of mind. You, your food is not going to go missing. You're not sure. Like I was yeah. boiling water for my daughter 
and I don't, I didn't know she put. I just, I'm so paranoid because she's, she's out of her mind. I wasn't sure she put stuff in the water, so I got a kettle to my room to boil her water so she could drink. So I didn't know if she's gonna. And if she saw the kettle, she said, "You got a kettle in the room." I'm like, "What? I can't do my daughter's stuff in peace in the kitchen." So I stopped cooking food there for months. I, I had to always buy food out, and I felt like I was honestly in the shelter because that's how I was in the shelter. I had to buy food all the time. I got to have a stove there, so it was just like. It was, it was a lot. <laughs> it was a lot. And me and her just did not. I was so happy. I was like, she wanted me to go out. Like, I want to go. But I was like, I can afford. I told her I can afford to be on my own in this thing. I was like, you're going to have to give me an eviction to get out. She didn't want to do the eviction. Because oh, 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 right, right, right. that also. Yeah. So you were in the shelter right, without right. an eviction. And at the time, they told me that I need, Um, I, did, I, did, I didn't feel safe there. But I also didn't want to put it on a police report because of who she who she's related to. So because of, I didn't do the police yeah. report and that, that would have got me into the shelter automatically for probably DV, honestly, because I felt unsafe at my environment. But I didn't want to go that route because of who she was to somebody. She's somebody aunt to me. So I was like, I didn't want to bother doing that. So I was like, I'll stick it up. I'm like, you have to evict me. If I can't get evicted, I can't go anywhere. There's nowhere for me to go. And at one point, this one tell you guys, also always have receipts when you do um when you do your your mm -hmm. rents. Make sure you always get a receipt. Make sure it's always a paper trail. Thank mm -hmm. God I did it because she can't say I didn't pay her rent. Um, and I also send my my checks through the mail. I didn't give nothing. I didn't get no check written because that's that's not a paper trail for me. And if they give you do give a check, make sure they give you a receipt back. What I always did, I I had Chase and it. I still do. Huh? Take a picture of it because those little pieces of paper are just. That's true. Pictures are always much better. That's what I pick pictures of everything. Cards. Every, and I I did with her, your card. I took a picture. Got no. I'm probably gonna lose it. But yeah, yeah. being Google, <laughs> I promise you that. And I was send because you could um send checks through Chase, so it's, Chase will send it. You just make sure you send it like do it enough time to get to there by the first to your landlord, so it could be a paper trail. And then the other, I paid one half, and then the other half HRA paid, which they as if you don't know, they pay their stuff kind of shifty. But at this time, it was before Corona, so it was a little bit better. But you know, it still was. On the shaky side so if it was a holiday you know it's gonna be late <laughs> because of the holiday and stuff like that so it wasn't that bad but sometimes it was kind of mm, about it so she was saying what's the on housing court she said oh i don't have the rent that i'm like no she gave me i didn't have the key for the mailbox she gave me she'll give me my mail when she wanted to on top of that which is i think i'm pretty sure that's against the law but whatever um she gave me the stuff and say i didn't pay her but i'm like these are the checks from chase that you know giving you that I sent to you I told the judge I couldn't get in the mailbox without her because she has a lot that means I paid you you just didn't take your money you didn't want to um, put it in the account and by the time she did all of that all these checks were actually after I think it's 90 days they get for a check you couldn't even use it anymore so I'm like what's gonna happen with that so the judge said I don't, the part that she didn't take I didn't have to pay that back because it wasn't my fault that she didn't right. cash these checks that's on you I sent it to yeah. you in your name you're supposed to cash it it doesn't make sense but he said the HRA checks even though she didn't cash those because it's from the city, even those after 90 days, she could take those and they will give it back to her. I'm like, okay, that's fine with me. But Not also that mind. ended up biting me in the butt because if you don't know for city FAPS, you have to have an eviction. That's one of the things, like one of the eligible D things. And also you need to have owed your landlord money at the time. I think now it's about a bit different because I didn't owe her any money, but I only had the eviction. I could get into shelter, but I couldn't get the voucher. And I knew that after. I'm like, wow. So, because I didn't owe her money either, 
I never got my eviction on my credit score, which is apparently that's what I think it goes on your credit. It goes somewhere, that's, but oh, it's yeah. not in the system. So I guess it worked out for me in the long run because if I want to get like a house, they won't look at it so far. I'm like, oh, you know, you having this eviction. I, I don't know how they do with the whole house thing. I know some of the, they look at your credit and all that. So I'm happy for that, but I was unhappy got to get the city peps. But everything happens for a reason. I got nitro, and that's actually better than city peps. You know, the buildings are kind of some of them are kind of cruddy, but you know, it's better than having only a five year stance of where I live. So it worked out. But yeah, living with people sometimes, I'm not saying everybody's horrible, but just having your own space is amazing. It really is. Like having a place to cook, even if you don't want to cook, place to order, it doesn't matter. It's it just, you feel more comfortable, you feel more relaxed. Your brain is not working as much. Am I doing this wrong? And it's like, am I breathing? Literally, if I'm breathing wrong, is the person going to be annoyed about it? Like example, right. my baby's a baby. She's crying. That shouldn't be a problem for you if she's crying. It's, it's a baby. That's what they do. And you knew that I had a baby before I came in. Like I said, a surprise, like, hey, I got a baby. I came in <laughs> here with her. It wasn't like I got pregnant there and had the baby there. I lived, I moved in with the baby in my hand. I moved in when she was um, want to say one and a half. Not even I don't think she was one month probably. But if, if she was, I went like the 26th or 27th of September. My my daughter's born August 12th. So like oh. a month and change. So she was very young when she moved in. So she knew what this is, yeah. you know? Wow. But yeah. I, I can't imagine. Like, Crazy. do you, well, your grandmother's probably, I would assume, dead by now. Do you know why she acts? I'm sorry, I'm going to her back to the story. I'm sorry, I got into myself. My bad, guys. Do you know why she probably act that way? Or probably, or she just. I thought about it a lot. She, um, so apparently my grandfather was quite the uh, philanderer, um, as we say in my family, which means he fooled around all the time. Right. He had a girlfriend that once, many years later, we were driving somewhere. I mean, so, you know, my father, I I think after, I don't even know if this one was still there, but he he drove me past. So where I grew up is now way more built up, but it, it's like country roads with like a, a dive bar, right? So I think right. my father mostly drank in places like that. Right. I mean, you know, I have cousins and friends that like, you know, excuse me, but they would go, like they'd get a call from the bartender and have to go pick up my father. He pissed himself. I mean, oh, like no. really bad, really bad. So like, how did I think that the whole town didn't know this already? Right. <laughs> but anyway, when we drove past one of these bars and my father said, oh yeah, that's where Pop's girlfriend she owned that bar she ten i was like pop's girlfriend right you know my grandma as his wife no his girl yeah yeah wow. so it was like that and i think there were others and so i'm guessing she was you know she came i mean it was outrageous that my mother got divorced when my mother got divorced it was still it just wasn't acceptable socially right. And um, she couldn't even get a credit card. I mean, now, right. like anybody, if you were a single woman, you couldn't get a credit card. This is like the 1980s. It's not that long ago, says Wow, me. I didn't even think about it. Wow, the year was the year yeah. that I was born. Like, I mean, they, yeah, you couldn't crazy. get a credit card. Um, she had to like get some, I don't even know how she did. She got somebody, you know, we knew somebody who knew somebody who was a lawyer and my mother got them to write a letter saying that, it was wow. discrimination, blah, 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 blah. And I think some right. you know, eventually legislation passed to prohibit that. But when I think about it, like that was the world it was. So my grandmother 
you don't leave your husband. You don't, you put up and shut up and you make the whatever. I mean, I, I think she was deeply unhappy. She was in a really bad car accident. I don't, you know, long before I was born, I think. And um, I think, you know, was in the hospital for like six months or something, really messed up her legs. Um, so I think she probably had chronic pain, um, which didn't help. Um, she smoked, I mean, she just sat in a chair and smoked cigarette and like she would light a cigarette with a cigarette. Oh, and yeah. like that, Marlboro's, Marlboro Reds and then Marlboro Lights. Um, she drank a fair amount of vodka herself until at some point I remember my mother just saying, you're not drinking vodka anymore. And <laughs> that was that. So I think none of it helped, but it's just kind of, then, I mean, it's weird. Then I remember years later, my mother told me that um, she had an older sister who died and that older sister was my grandmother's fa favorite. Now, I'm sorry, but I only have one child, but if I have more than one, I learned you do not, nobody's your favorite. I'm right. sorry. You, you don't get to do that. that is, and so my mother always felt like the, I don't know, like in a one down position, it was two girls and a boy and my uncle, cause he was a boy, the sun rose and set on him. And my, my aunt Claire, um, who was, you know, she was, she was also, she had very serious health problems during her life and she died really young. And, um, you know, it's funny when just a few months ago when my mother was transitioning, I mean, she hadn't, she never talked about Claire really when she was transitioning from this life into whatever comes next, she was talking to Claire. I remember oh, just being wow. like, what is in there? What is in there? What did you two have that you did not resolve? And so, I mean, I'm, I'm very lucky. Uh, both my parents, when my, both my parents left this world, I was in a good relationship with them. And I know way too many people who aren't, and it's no fault, you know, this isn't about fault, but um, I would not, I, it would be hard. I mean, the world's not, the world feels, and there's so many things I wish I talked to her about, all these things. And then, you know, at a certain point in the last few years, she wasn't really lucid enough to talk about them or she would go off and you'd be like, is this real? Or, I mean, who knows? <laughs> my grandmother, I never, you know, my mother would just say she was just very unhappy. Like, that's it. Boom. She was just very unhappy. She was an unhappy person. But I'm sorry I never said to her, like, well, why did you, I, what I would like to have said, like, why did you let her pick on me? Right. I didn't do anything wrong. I mean, I'm sure I did things wrong, but I was a kid. <laughs> was I was a kid, a kid right. I was nine years old. I was just a little tiny thing. <laughs> You know, I think of it now and I just felt responsible. Like I, I always felt like, what did I do wrong? Right. I, was, I was terrified of her. Like, she sounds like your landlord. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh. She was a great card player, my grandma. So her the ladies would come over for bridge. I loved that. Cause the little old ladies thought I was cute. <laughs> Right, not Graham. The little oh. lady be like, "Come here, honey," and like, oh, no. candy or like a dollar or something. Um, and but, a dollar went a long way back in the day. Uh -huh, a dollar came uh -huh. by nothing. Uh huh. Yeah. So I don't know. You know what? 
I think in it's all part of a generation or generations where you just didn't say you didn't talk about it. You kept it inside. Um, and that was your job, especially I think for women. I mean, I think that's still true for us. Um, but particularly in those generations, you just it was your role, you just sucked up the pain and moved on. And I suppose that will always be true to some extent, because there's a lot of pain in this life. Right. Um, I hope we've learned some things about, you know, um, back in the day, um, I was a, I started my career as a clinician and I was trained in trauma focused cognitive behavior therapy. And um, one of the things that I learned and I, I you know, after 9-11, I, when I was living in the New York area and, um, you know, we so a lot of people, a lot of clinicians got trained in trauma focused cognitive behavior therapy because there were so many traumatized people. Right. Um, and um, I remember learning essentially what you do is when when someone has a traumatic experience, it's stored. To simplify, it's stored differently in your brain. Right. It's not encoded the same way. And in my mind, the way I make that's where flashes come from. I mean, even you can think about like, I can think about difficult conversations that I had, you know, you're like, I know exactly where I was standing when that happened. Yes. Like, I, I was all activated and like, you can really remember it. And these flashes of it, and you know, a traumatic experience is that much more. And so what we learned in the training is that it's really important for be able, people to be able to tell their story. And one of the ways of recovering from trauma is to be able to narrate the story and to narrate the story, you have to be able to bring yourself through the events in your mind and kind of out loud. And so, but it's so overwhelming to quote, tell the story, you can't tell the story at once and it's all fragmented. Right. So part of the therapy is getting people in a comfortable and centered and relaxed enough state to begin to talk about it. And when it becomes overwhelming and too activating, you step back, you help the person relax, you know, deep breathing, all the things. And then the goal in some sense, now it might've changed since this, it was a long time ago, but to this day, it helps me understand how talking about your experience is important. Um, I've worked with a lot of young people, you know, it wasn't that long ago, we expected all forms of people who had trauma to just sit up in front of groups of people and tell their trauma. Right. I mean, like I still have TV commercials where it's like, you know, save this one or that one. And the way you do it is you pull people's quote heartstrings by having some person, you know, some child with a disability or a medical condition or whatever. I don't know. That's like, it feels very exploitative. And that's mm -hmm. what we did for a long time. And I also know I've worked with a lot of young people who experienced homelessness, who eventually when they got to a safe and comfortable enough place to tell their story with in a safe place of their choosing with people they trust. And that's a long road to get there. Right. That it can help because I think we make I mean, you just in this conversation said things to me like, listen, people like this is domestic <laughs> violence, right? Now. Oh, right. Um, right, right. Uh, that part, I don't think I've gotten to. Right. So I guess telling the story is in the right place. Right. 
is healing, but in the wrong place, it's, it's more pain. It's true. Definitely true. So we have come to the end of part two and we left off at a great place. Um, I think it was less <laughs> than the other part, but, um, again, like I said in the last podcast, go look on your, your, your person who think they're strong. Well, you think they're, they're strong, but in their hearts, they know they just need somebody to talk to and vent to. And we give out the information down below that can help you and your family, um, get through things if it's, if it's, if you need help or that you went through this in your family. Also, follow us on social media. And we'll see you next week, guys, for the last and final part, part three. And, guys, if you look on YouTube, probably a week or so after, we'll have the full video. So, um, it'll probably depends. <laughs> I'm not going to promise anything, guys. <laughs> I don't want to promise that it don't happen. But thank you again for listening. Thank you guys for being amazing. And see you next time. Bye.